It's Thursday, and this is the Y'all Show. Talk with a Southern accent with John Rawl. Welcome into the show where we talk about the South. We talk about the good, the bad, the facts of life. <laughs> it's kind of like that old 80s show. And we tell you what the South is all about. It might be news. It might be something political. It could be something from the business side of the South. It could be music, sports, and more. We cover it all right here on the All Southern Program on today's Y'all Show, later this hour, we're going to welcome in a very, very special guest from Memphis, Tennessee. Stephen Ustry is in Memphis, and he hosts Book Talk on WYPL-FM there in the Bluff City. And he's been a broadcaster in West Tennessee and Memphis for a long time. And this special show interviews authors. He's got, I think, over 600 authors to date that he's had a chance to interview. And we're going to interview Stephen Later this hour, we're going to talk to him about authors and books that you should be checking out and purchasing for Christmas gifts. We've got a lot of great Southern reads out there just in time for Christmas, and Stephen Ushery is going to tell us about it in our Buy the Book feature later this hour on the Y'all Show. You do not want to miss that. When we go to hour two of today's Y'all Show, we're going to talk about the big holiday and some stuff you may not realize and places to celebrate the big holiday. I'm not talking about Christmas, y'all. I'm talking about New Year's Day and New Year's Eve, because believe it or not, that's coming up sooner than you might think. And we're going to be off the air for a few weeks, and so we want you to know where Wallet Hub says are the best places to go for New Year's. And sure, probably you could guess the number one place, a place called New York City with the apple and all that that falls out of the sky. But could you believe there's... The number three place in all of America, according to Wallet Hub, to enjoy New Year's is in the South. And we'll tell you what city that is. And we'll also rattle off the other Southern places that made Wallet Hub's list of best places for New Year's. And we'll tell you some New Year's information you may not be aware of from a financial standpoint. All that at the start of hour two. And then in hour two, we're going to also put our SEC spotlight on as we wrap up y'all for the year. And we're going to welcome in from Auburn, Alabama and powerofdixieland.com is the website. Taylor Jones will be our special guest. Taylor is going to stop by to talk about Auburn football 2018, a team that finished seven and five and is heading to Nashville for the Music City Bowl where they'll face off against Purdue at the end of the month. And Taylor is going to talk about all of the post-regular season changes, including at quarterback going into 2019 for the Plainsman. We'll talk about Auburn football with Taylor Jones, and we'll also talk about the top 10 Auburn basketball team. Yes, Auburn's got a darn good basketball program, defending SEC champs, I might add. And he'll be on to tell us all about Bruce Pearl's Auburn basketball team, all that in hour two. And somewhere in that mix, we're going to talk to Taylor about the SEC and bowl games in 2018-19. So that'll be a lot of fun bowl talk. Speaking of bowls, as we start our show today, I've got to start off with a little bit of humor, if you don't mind, because we need some good humor. And we're going to get to the headlines, but this, this actually came out yesterday, and I didn't pay it much attention when I first saw it, but then a friend of mine who was a native of Shreveport put it on his Facebook page, and I actually watched it, and I got a good chuckle. And so it's college sports related, but it's about the South, and it's pretty darn funny. We're going to go to the press conference held in Shreveport this week for the Independence Bowl 
Temple will be taking on Duke in that game. Well, Temple's head coach is going to be leaving there to go coach the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. We just told you Jeff Collins moving to Atlanta back to his native state to coach the Yellow Jackets. Well, Temple has named an interim coach in the meantime to coach this game in Shreveport. It's Ed Foley, who grew up in New Jersey, but coaches now and has been on the Temple staff for a long time. But he's the interim coach of Temple heading into this bowl game in Shreveport. And this clip is Foley talking about arriving in Shreveport, Louisiana, and how fired up he and the Owls are to play in what some people consider a terrible bowl game. Ed Foley's got a different take about the game and Shreveport and Northwest Louisiana itself. Let's listen to this. Let's get a good laugh starting out our headlines from across the South. Here's Ed Foley. When I got off the plane today, I thought there was a chance that I was in heaven. (laughs) So I get out of the plane, and where's my man Lee? So Lee picks me up, right, out there by the airport, and it's the first time in my life that I've been in the second row of a pickup truck. It was awesome. Leaving all that chaos and coming down here and getting in the second row of a pickup truck was like heaven for me. And I appreciate it. I could tell right away that Shreveport and Boja City have rolled out the red carpet for us because we go down. And he's going to take us over to the practice field over in Bossier City. We go over the bridge, and I look to the right, and there's a little shack over there, and it says, Gizzards, Po' Boys, and Philly Cheesesteaks. And I said, Lee, this is heaven. Fun stuff there from Ed Foley, the interim head coach of the Temple Owls, and they'll be taking on Duke in the Independence Bowl, and that'll be December 27th with a 12:30 kick from Shreveport, Louisiana, and just one of many, many bowl games going on during the holiday season. But I, I thought that would be a good way to start off our looking around the South today with, with a little chuckle. Now, this is not funny as we start our headlines. Fentanyl is now the top drug found in American overdose deaths, according to the CDC. And, of course, this is a nationwide crisis. This is something that is a major problem in our American South. Just to give you an idea of the overdose overdose deaths in the country that involve fentanyl, it's been growing every year. And that number jumped from just under 2,000 deaths back in 2013 to more than 4,200 deaths the following year. It's since risen, and there were 8,200 deaths from fentanyl in 2015, and that grew in 2016 to 18,300 deaths. From 8,200 deaths in one year to 18,300 deaths in 2016. What a horrible drug, and just wanted to let you know, this is, again, part of this powerful synthetic opioid that's been the rage and unfortunately taking way too many lives. And President Trump trying to do his best to stop this from entering the country. But fentanyl, a major problem. And again, according to the CDC, the top drug found in American overdose deaths now, fentanyl. Mm. Governor Jim Justice of West Virginia is coming under fire because he has appointed his lifelong friend to the state Supreme Court. And that will fill the seat of a convicted former Justice Alan Lowry. Justice made Raleigh County Circuit Judge John A. Hutchinson his third appointee to a court rocked by an impeachment scandal that's been going on in the Mountain State for some months. 
Hutchinson will serve until a 2020 special election. The winner of that race will serve the remainder of Lowry's term through the year 2024. But yes, I don't know if nepotism is the word, if you're a lifelong friend, but sure enough, Hutchinson and the governor attended Woodrow Wilson High School in Beckley, West Virginia, and played on the basketball team together. And Hutchinson was sworn in justice as governor. Hutchinson swore in justice as a governor in January of 2017. So yeah, these two go way, way back. And now they're helping each other out. I don't know if that's illegal, but that's what's happening. Some business news. Norfolk Southern moving its headquarters to the capital of Georgia. The railroad company moving from Norfolk, Virginia to Atlanta, bringing with it 850 jobs and more than $500 million in economic investment. This was announced yesterday by the governor of Georgia, Nathan Deal. Norfolk Southern plans to build a new headquarters campus with 750,000 square feet of office space in the city's midtown area. And we wish them all the best. Coming, uh, It's Virginia's loss. We don't like that. It's Georgia's gain. Norfolk Southern riding the rails to Atlanta, which, of course, Atlanta, if you know anything about its history, its only purpose in its original days was a railroad hub. It's where I think one of the first westernmost links of the rail line connected the rail going up to Chattanooga to Augusta, Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. That's a little bit of the history of Georgia. The rail, railroads in Georgia kind of go hand in hand. More business news to tell you about. In Memphis, Indigo Ag is expanding operations in downtown Memphis. And this is an agriculture technology company, Indigo Ag is, and they are establishing their North American Commercial Operations Headquarters in Memphis. On Wednesday, the governor of Tennessee, Bill Haslam, was in Memphis to make the announcement. And this fast-growing Boston startup plans to invest about $6.6 million in the area and add 700 jobs over the next three years as it expands its operations in a downtown Memphis building near the city's Memphis Redbirds baseball stadium. So great news for downtown Memphis. I I didn't know an agriculture company would come into a downtown area like Memphis, but that is exactly what Indigo Ag is doing. I think AutoZone also has a downtown Memphis presence, a national firm that is based in the Memphis area. So yes, good news for West Tennessee and Memphis with Indigo Ag relocating its operations into Memphis. Indigo treats seeds with plant microbes and sells them to cotton, soybean, rice, and corn farmers seeking higher crop yields. It also helps farmers market and sell crops. Great news there for this company coming to Memphis. In the Sunshine State, a top official in Florida's highway agency and her deputy have resigned after an investigation into whether state employees were sent to the official's South Georgia home to clean up fallen tree limbs and connect the generator after Hurricane Michael. Kelly Scott, Director of Administrative Services for the Florida Highway Agency, and Shane Phillips, the agency's Chief of Office Services, have submitted their resignations this week, and those departures become effective next month. They quit after an internal investigation, and the Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles concluded that Scott failed to act on possible ethics violations, and the agency's Inspector General said allegations that Scott used state resources to clean up debris at her house were unfounded, but that she did attempt to use agency resources for her personal gain. Three state workers were sent to her home in Colquitt, Georgia, and that's more than an hour's drive away from Tallahassee, the capital 
of Florida. <laughs> so that it's bad enough you get people to try to help you, but golly, crossing state lines to do that because of Hurricane Michael. Again, this was that Category 4 storm that went across the Florida Panhandle into southern Georgia with wind speeds up to 155 miles per hour. And I know it must have been terrible. It was a terrible time for everybody there, including the state agency officials. Yes, but probably not a good thing to send them to Georgia to work on a personal project. Melania Trump made history yesterday by flying in a V-22 Osprey aircraft onto the deck of an aircraft carrier. And she flew onto the deck of the USS George H.W. Bush and then back into the Hampton, Virginia area. She tweeted that it was an incredible flight when she went to go visit service members. Pretty cool of the First Lady of the United States flying there in Virginia and visiting the crew members on the George H.W. Bush. Well, that's not the only First Lady news here on this day's Y'all Show. When we come back, a former First Lady is going to be coming south on a book tour. We'll tell you all about it. Plus, we've got much, much more of the Y'all Show. In this hour, we've got a book report. Well, not really. It's a report on books. That's a lot more exciting, don't you think? Because if you're like me in school and you had to do a book report, eh, not a lot of fun. This is going to be a lot of fun when we have a special guest to talk about books later this hour. Stay tuned. This is the Y'all Show. Credit products are made by WebBank. Rates and terms vary based on credit history. Amazon is not a sponsor of this promotion. Other restrictions apply. See website for details. How did I get into credit card debt? A trip to the emergency room. Car repairs. (sighs) Moving expenses. There's a million ways to get into credit card debt, but one sure way to start getting out. Avant. Avant offers access to online unsecured loans from $2,000 to $35,000 at competitive rates and no extra charges for paying back early. Over 500,000 customers have experienced the convenience of a loan through Avant. No wonder Avant has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. The application takes minutes, and if approved by 4.30 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday, funds are deposited as soon as the next business day. And now Avant will also give you a $50 Amazon.com gift card after your first payment is made on time. To check your loan options and to get this special radio offer, go to Avant.com today and enter promo code 4646 when applying. That's A-V-A-N-T.com, promo code 4646. Avant.com, code 4646. As a small business owner, you make every dollar count. So what could you do with $10? Go to Vistaprint.com today and you'll get 500 high-quality custom business cards for only $9.99. That's less than two cents per card. And at Vistaprint, your satisfaction is absolutely guaranteed. So it's never been easier to turn 500 strangers into connections. Just visit Vistaprint.com and use promo code 1313 at checkout. That's Vistaprint.com, promo code 1313. When I have a cold sore, I want something that works. Purpose and L penetrates deep to treat your cold sore, and it's enriched with lysine, vitamins, and lemon balm for soothing relief. But even when I don't have a cold sore, I still want something that protects against a flare-up. Purpose and L protects against certain triggers caused by the sun and cold, including flare-ups from sun damage with its added SPF 30 protection. So it treats and protects. Works for me. And me too. Purpose and L works when you have a cold sore, works when you don't. Use as directed.
road by myself. Now don't you hear me talking, pretty mama, Lord, ain't going down a big road by myself. Well, hello there. Welcome back to The Y'all Show with John Rawl as we continue our glancing around headlines from throughout the region. In the previous segment, we left you talking about First Lady Melania Trump. Now to a former First Lady in the news, Michelle Obama is coming south. She's coming to Dixieland on her Becoming Tour. That's the name of her latest book. And she's added a whole bunch of dates. And those dates, her book's already sold, I think, more than 3 million copies. The highest selling book of 2018 is Becoming. And her dates in the South include... She'll be in Fort Lauderdale, Florida on May 10th, Atlanta on May 11th, and Nashville on May 12th. So still still plenty of months before First Lady Obama comes down to the South on this tour. But she's going all over the country and looks like stops internationally as well on a tour to promote her book. So if you want to know more about it, check our schedule out and, and check see what's going on. More ladies of politics news. Condoleezza Rice, former Secretary of State was in her native Birmingham this week as she helped break ground on a new $7 million clubhouse for the A.G. Gaston Boys and Girls Club in the Magic City. Condoleezza Rice co-chaired the fundraising drive to build the Walter Howlett Jr. Clubhouse at the Birmingham Crossplex, and she also made a personal donation to the effort. She said the new building will provide Birmingham children with opportunities for personal growth and opportunities to lead healthier lives. So great to see her back in her hometown and helping out with the Boys and Girls Club. Sad news from the Yellowhammer State. A nine-year-old girl in Demopolis committed suicide after racist taunting, according to her family. And this happened to a young lady named Mackenzie Adams. And this she died on December 3rd after what was described as an emotional roller coaster where she was allegedly bullied at school. And her grandmother reportedly found the fourth grader after she hung herself in their residence there in Alabama, but just a terrible thing to have a youngster commit suicide. I saw some report on TV where deaths of five-year-olds to like 12-year-olds has tripled in the last couple of months or years, but still a terrible thing to see this young lady, nine years old, committing suicide in Demopolis, Alabama, and according to her family, because of racist taunting. You ready for a dummy? A D-U-M-M-Y? Well, we've got one, and where else? In Florida. As a woman there arrested after swinging a bag filled with... (laughs) I'm speechless here. She swung a bag filled with chihuahuas at a bar. Teresa Gardner, a 27-year-old, was swinging this bag of puppies, and she could be in a lot of hot water as a backpack full of these scared puppies were taken into a bar. And this happened in Broward County at the Briny Irish Pub. And officials there were not able to determine where they came from. They said they were about four-week-old puppies. And she had these in a bar. For some reason, she went into a bar with Chihuahua puppies. But, yeah, maybe she was partaking something that the bar served. And that could have been part of the reasoning behind that idiotic decision. And now to Nashville. And if you want to fly one day, according to a councilwoman there, she wants you to fly out of the Oprah Winfrey International Airport. Excuse me, the Oprah G. Winfrey International Airport. This has been a proposal that's been put forward by a Nashville councilwoman named Sharon Hurt. 
and she has sent a letter recommending it be changed. Of course, Oprah Winfrey, who was born in Mississippi, has roots in the Music City as she grew up there part of her life and also went to Tennessee State University in Nashville before starting her uber-successful career. Now, the problem with this proposal is airport policy reportedly states an individual must be deceased for at least two years and have made a substantial contribution to the airport or field of aviation to have a building or facility named after them. And last time I checked, Oprah is still alive, and I have no idea what she's done for aviation. So not looking good for the Oprah G. Winfrey International Airport to become reality in Nashville. But I do have a smart aleck response to this, okay? If you know anything about Oprah and her connection to Nashville and or Mississippi... If you fly out of the Oprah G. Winfrey International Airport, does that mean you're going to forget where you came from? Just saying. (laughs) Well, we've got a whole lot more of the Y'all Show coming up. On the other side of the break, we're going to welcome in Stephen Ustry from Memphis, and he's the host of Book Talk on WYPL, and we're going to get his take on holiday book reading. That's ahead on the Y'all Show with John Rawls. As a small business owner, you make every dollar count. So what could you do with $10? Go to Vistaprint.com today and you'll get 500 high-quality custom business cards for only $9.99. That's less than $0.02 per card. And at Vistaprint, your satisfaction is absolutely guaranteed. So it's never been easier to turn 500 strangers into connections. Just visit Vistaprint.com and use promo code 1313 at checkout. That's Vistaprint.com, promo code 1313. Gold Bond salutes all you fixers out there. Fixers of wobbly chairs, squeaky stairs, and drippy faucets. Folks who can fix just about anything, except dry cracked hands. Whoa, that's bad. Man. Say hello to Gold Bond Crack Skin Cream. More than a lotion, it precisely fills, soothes, and protects rough cracked fingers and knuckles. 91% said cracked skin felt smoother in one day. Yep, feeling good. Gold Bond Crack Skin Cream. Find it at First Aid at Walgreens. Put on my blue suede shoes and I boarded the plane. Touchdown in the And welcome back as we roll on with more of the Thursday Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. And on this program, we talk about news, opinion, politics, sports. We have music, of course, but we also love to talk about our books, especially if there's a Southern connection. And to help us in this week's segment, we call... By the book we have from Memphis, Tennessee, Stephen Ustry, and he is the broadcast programming coordinator at WYPL-FM in the Bluff City, and he's also the host of Book Talk on WYPL and syndicated to stations around the country, and he's joining us right now on the Y'all Show. Hello, Stephen. Welcome into the Y'all Show. Thanks, John, for having me. It's, uh, you doing all right today? I am doing great, and we can't thank you enough for being our our guest here, and you're you're the first non-author we've had here in our book feature, so congratulations on that. Well, thank you so much. It's quite an honor. Yeah, it's it's hard to find the independent booksellers and or the people that really kind of keep an eye on books across the southeast. They're out there. You just got to dig them up, and that's what we were lucky enough to do in Shelby County, Tennessee, getting Stephen to come on our show. Now, Stephen, before we get into your picks or some of your thoughts for maybe holiday suggestion for reads, if you want to get something for a loved one or for yourself, 
tell us a little bit about what people can find on Book Talk, and if they're not if they're not lucky enough to live in Memphis, how can they find your show? Well, uh, Book Talk has uh, been around for over 25 years, and I started doing interviews in 2002 and started producing and hosting the show full-time in 2007. It is just an in-person author interview show, so you always have great audio, and you have that great connection between the host and and the author because they're sitting there eye-to-eye. And uh, we do everything from uh, children's picture books to cookbooks to high-end Pulitzer Prize-winning literary novels and mysteries and just, just about everything. And uh, you can uh, hear us on our stream at uh, memphislibrary.org slash WYPL on Saturdays at 1130 Central. And uh, you can uh, go on to iTunes or the Google Play Store and download the podcast. All right. Well, that's what we like to hear. We live in an appointment programming type of world these days. So we're trying to make it real easy for folks to find a show like yours, which I've done my research. Not too many options for those of us who like books. Not too many options to kind of get a, a good feel of all types of books and great author interviews and steven does that on book talk and we're very very grateful so most of your authors come sit down with you you don't do it like what we do sometimes on the show do it via telephone no uh we've uh, been really lucky here in the bluff city a lot of folks come here to our independent bookstores novel and burke's books also to the barnes and noble sometime and we're within driving distance of oxford mississippi which has got one of the best bookstores in the country with square books and they get tons of great authors coming in they got to fly into memphis before they drive down to oxford so we grab some of those folks too so um we've uh you know we have to turn down probably about 150 authors a year uh, because so many folks are coming to the area we can only do about 50 interviews a year and uh, we're spoiled, really, with all the great authors that come through. And we want to thank Square Books in Oxford, as Lynn Roberts put me on your trail, Stephen. I would not know about you if not for Lynn there at Square Books saying, hey, you ought to check out what Stephen's doing in Memphis. So thank you, Lynn, and thank you, Square Books. And go to squarebooks.com, I think, is their website, to see all the incredible offers they have. All right, let's talk some books, Stephen, as we're getting closer and closer to 25 December. People might want to think about getting a book this year, which is always a good option. What's on the Stephen Ushery list of options for books here in 2018? Well, I want to talk about my favorite book of the year first, and that is called, the, it's a novel from Texas called The Witchway Tree, author named Elizabeth Crook, and she writes historical fiction set down in Texas. This one is set in the Civil War out on the frontier, and a young teenage boy named Benjamin Shreve witnesses an atrocity. It's a massacre of German immigrants by some Confederate soldiers. And he has been directed by a circuit judge to write his testimony to him. And so he writes a series of letters to this judge explaining what led up to the massacre and then the massacre and then what all happened after the massacre. And it's a fascinating story. He has a younger half-sister, and her mother was killed by this um, panther, a mountain lion out there. And it mauled his sister badly. She's scarred up. And she has this insatiable urge to get revenge on this panther. She's almost like a miniature Captain Ahab from Moby Dick. So that's a a good description of the book is uh, Moby Dick plus Huck Finn plus a lot of jokes. It is a very funny book. Benjamin's writing style is just simple and guileless. And he just is funny as all get out while he's describing these terrible things that have happened to his family and this long journey that he and his half-sister take to get revenge on this panther. And uh, Robert Duvall's bought the film rights for the, the book. So, I mean, it is a page-turner. There's, you know, it, 
may sound a little sad, but it's funny, it's exciting, it's got just a little bit of everything for everybody. Well, that's what we like in a book, if we can find one like this. Now, it's called The Witch Way. The Witch Way Tree by Elizabeth Crook, and it's published by Little Brown. And that's done well on the bookstores around the country? That's been a uh, big, big, big... I don't know its sales, but it uh, it's gotten a lot of praise. It was picked as a notable book by the New York Times when it came out, and it's made a, a lot of lists and got... Great recommendations from some of the best authors in the country. And that's your pick for book of the year. All right. Well, Stephen, we appreciate That is my favorite one. All right. What else you got up your sleeve, Stephen? Well, uh, food is always a big topic for discussion down here in the South. And, you know, we're coming up on the holidays. And there are two books that address food in very different ways. There are two extraordinary books. First, we got Rick Bragg from Alabama. You know, one Pulitzer writing for the New York Times, and now he's uh, teaching, I think, down there at the University of Alabama. And he has a memoir called The Best Cook in the World, Tales from My Mama's Table. And for all of us, you know, I'm getting close to 50, thinking back about how our grandparents and our great-grandparents came up in the South and the around the turn of the century up until the First World War is just a, a time of scarcity, you know, people you know, having to shoot and eat possum and squirrel and just about anything that came their way and how you provide for a family that, you know, sometimes had five, eight, ten kids. And Rick Bragg can break your heart, make you laugh, and he's got some great recipes in there to boot. Now, the other book is a memoir from Mississippi by an African-American. This Rick Bragg book talking about food, that's a little bit of a different direction for him, right? I know he wrote all over but the shouting and such, but Writing about food is a kind of a novelty or a new thing for him, right? Well, I, I think it's always had its place in his writing because, you know, food is one of the most important things in our lives. And uh, this is just really concentrated down. I mean, he's probably had mentions of uh, food and meals. You know, his mom was a, a waitress for a good long while to, to help support the family after her husband left. And um, so, you know, food's always had a little bit of a role in the books, but this is really driving it home. And there's a, I mean, there's a lot of nostalgia in there if you want to think about the old times. All right. That sounds like a delicious book for, for Christmas. Okay. Next, next food-related book. And uh, it's a, a memoir uh, from an African-American writer named K.A.C. Lehman. He's from Jackson, Mississippi, teaches now at the University of Mississippi, and it's called Heavy, an American Memoir. And this is the exact opposite side. This is a young man uh, growing up in Jackson, Mississippi in the 80s, and he grew up overweight. And it talks about how um, his parents splitting up, structural racism, everyday in-your-face racism, and just the the violence between people affected him and made him seek solace in food. And it's a powerful book. It was named, uh, I think, Book of the Year by Audible.com. For, he did the audiobook for it, too. And it's an amazing book. It is heartbreaking and just... Every Southerner needs to read it. It is a very, he says, an American memoir, but is also a very much a Southern memoir. And uh, we overlook our African American neighbors too often when it comes to what being Southern is. And I, I encourage everyone to read it. Kiese, it's K I E S E, and the last name is Layman, L A Y M O N, and it's published by Scribner. Okay. Heavy. Good good title there, of course. Mississippi, sadly, is the nation's most obese state. So Layman knows what he writes there as a native of Jackson, Mississippi. 
Now, uh, another memoir that's a little bit more offbeat is by another University of Mississippi professor. She's the head of the writing department there, Beth Ann Finnelly. And she got her uh, writing degree at the University of Arkansas. And she's originally from Illinois, I think. But it's called Heating and Cooling, 52 Micro Memoirs. And she is a phenomenal poet. And she's co-written a, um, a novel with her husband, Tom Franklin, who is also a fabulous novelist of the South. And it's 52 short pieces that are kind of a hybrid between poems and prose. One of them is just like a sentence long and some you have a few pages long, but uh, it's literally a great stocking stuffer. It's small enough you could put into anybody's stocking. And I think a lot of young mothers and uh, mothers that might have children getting ready to leave the nest would really be intrigued by this book. And if they haven't changed things up at one time, Beth Ann Finley was the poet laureate of Mississippi. Is that still the case? I'm not quite sure. I haven't I haven't kept track of that, but uh, she is phenomenal. Tender Hooks. If uh, anyone's got new kids, there's she has a collection called Tender Hooks. You have to read it because it really describes motherhood and parenthood in just the most incredible ways. All right, Beth Ann Finley, Heating and Cooling. Awesome job there finding that one as a, a really different type of reading. You know, poetry is something we don't get a lot of praise for or a lot of attention and most people are caught up with the the novels and such but hey there is a certainly a an element and an art form there if you're a good poem writer and so beth ann finley is someone who does just that now if you got a uh, listeners out there who are real big into the kind of grittier side of country music like your chris stapletons and your sturgill simpsons and your jason isbells I recommend a novel also from Mississippi called The Fighter by Michael Ferris Smith. It is, uh, you remember that old Clint Eastwood movie, Any Which Way But Lose? About bare knuckle fighting? <laughs> right, right turn, Clyde. And, uh, but this one is like the serious early 70s um, gritty cinema version of it. It is, uh, you know, the, the Florida writer Harry Cruz? No, I'm not familiar with Harry. Uh, he wrote a great book called The Gospel Singer and uh, The Knockout Artist. The the fighter is the he is the heir to Harry Cruz with just uh, this really brutal and and gritty style of writing. And the the fighter is just an incredible story if if you really like that gritty side of the South. Okay, and who wrote this? His name is Michael Ferris F A R R I S Smith. Okay, Michael Ferris Smith and the fighter. Now, if uh, you got some folks in your life that like series, like crime fiction, mystery type stuff, there's a couple great ones that are set in the South. There's the uh, Quinn Colson series by Ace Atkins, who's down there in, near Oxford, Mississippi. He also has been continuing on the Spencer series for the Robert B. Parker estate. Remember Spencer for Hire, the TV show that was based on the Spencer books by Robert B. Parker. And after he passed away, Ace took up the mantle and started doing those books. And he developed his own series um, based on this Mississippi Ranger, he was an Army Ranger, comes back to town. It's kind of reminiscent of Walking Tall a little bit. He has to come back to a small southern town and kind of clean things up. He becomes sheriff of Tibaha County, not Octibaha County, just Tibaha County, his own little Yankapatawpa. And uh, the new book in that is called The Sinners. It came out earlier this year. And Ace is just a fabulous writer. He's got a great sense of humor. Just think of it as um, Walking Tall with Burt Reynolds in it because – it's got a great sense of humor and great action all the way through. Now, he may be from Staten Island, New York, but this fellow named Bill Lofelm moved down to New Orleans a few years ago. And he has a series about a woman named Maureen Coughlin, and she becomes a cop on the uh, New Orleans police force. 
And uh, the greatest book of that one is called The Devil's Muse. And his last name is L-O-E-H-F-E-L-M. And uh, that's book number five in the series. And that's fabulous police fiction if you're looking for it. Devil's News, N-E-W-S? Muse. Muse, as in uh, M-U-S-E. Oh, Muse. Okay, sorry. The Devil's and then, Muse, and that's from Bill Lofelm. 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 L O E H F E L M. The Devil's Muse, a Maureen Coughlin novel in the Maureen Coughlin yes. series. Love the New Orleans look there on the cover with the purple and gold and green. Now, if you like things a little bit more international, there's a writer based here in Memphis, Mark Greeny. A lot of people may know him. He continued on Tom Clancy's books after Mr. Clancy passed away. But he has his own series about a burned CIA agent named Court Gentry, and it's called the Gray Man series. And it's been kicked around Hollywood for quite a while. They've got the film rights on it. And um, the newest one on that is called Agent in Place, and there'll be a new one coming out in February as well. And if you like your international assassin spy thriller type books, Mark writes, he's up there with the best of them. Agent in Place, the name of that one? Yeah, that's the number seven in the Gray Man series. Awesome. Well, those are books there that you, when you get one, you kind of it's hard to put down, and you have to read the whole thing before you can even go to the, to the restroom. And and and, and you're holding your breath the, the whole way. <laughs> that's right. That is absolutely right, and that's what we're doing here. This is the Y'all Show. Talk with a Southern accent, and on today's show, we are getting you ready for the holidays with some book talk, and we have the host of Book Talk in Memphis on WYPL FM. In the Bluff City, and that's Stephen Ustry, and he is also the broadcast programming coordinator at WYPL in Memphis and West Tennessee, and we're glad to have him come on and kind of share his picks, his thoughts on great books for you to consider for yourself or for a loved one as a stocking stuffer. All right, Stephen, we need more. Give us more, Stephen. All righty, for uh, people that might be more interested in uh, fiction from a, a woman's perspective, there's the incredible bestseller from earlier this year, if you haven't already. It's called An American Marriage by Tayari Jones. She's originally from Atlanta, and I think the book is Sit There, too. It's been a while since I've read it. And it's about a young married couple. The husband gets falsely accused and convicted of a crime and the stress that it puts on their marriage over the years while he's serving that sentence uh, in jail. Uh, it was an Oprah co- uh, collection uh, selection, and uh, she, I think she's bought the movie rights for that one as well. Uh, then she's originally from Georgia, but she teaches at the writing program up in Kentucky at Lexington. It's, uh, Hannah Petard and she has a book called visible empire in the early sixties. There was a, um, horrible air crash in Paris, France, and it had almost half of the, the wealthy white Atlantans on the flight. And it, it just was a, an incredible tragedy for uh, that social circle with all those folks dying. But people talk about it being the worst disaster ever for Atlanta. And, in, you know, that's accepting, you know, the history of racism and slavery that's went on for, for hundreds of years in Georgia. And so it's a, an interesting look on how the uh, social circles handled it and also how African-Americans in the area were handling that, that tragedy. Mm. And uh, out in Nashville, we have J.T. Ellison, and she is a, a great mystery and suspense writer, and her new book is called Tear Me Apart. And so if you like kind of the Mary Higgins Clark style stuff, but maybe just a little bit edgier, JT's book will be perfect for a reader that loves that kind of stuff. Tear Me Apart, uh, JT Ellison, this book came out in August, 
and a, a great read as you say there and it's going to be something that you might want to check out when you're in the bookstore and you said jt has the nashville connection yep she lives just outside of nashville okay awesome there and she's a best-selling author and a nice new book there out on the m-i-r-a imprint is that how you pronounce that mira M- mira mm-hmm uh let's uh move on over to the kids i mean remember christmas is for kids and uh, we've got some picture books that are a lot of fun, and we've got a couple of musicians that have made picture books this year. First up is uh, Ketch Secor. He's the lead singer of the Old Crow Medicine Show, and he got together with the artist Higgins Bond, who got her art degree here in Memphis but lives over in Nashville now, and they have a great book called Lorraine, The Girl Who Sang the Storm Away. And then uh, Grant Malloy Smith is a popular uh, Americana artist, and he's originally from Florida, and he wrote a, a very, very fun kids' Christmas book called Fly, Possum, Fly, or The Year My Dad's Possums Really Saved Christmas. <laughs> and what's more what's more Southern than possums, I think? Uh, I can't think of anything else, but yeah, good idea there. And then uh, Lauren Long, he's a longtime Caldecott medal-winning uh, picture book artist and writer. He uh, did the illustrations for President Obama's picture book. He... Um, He's from Joplin, Missouri, originally, and got his degree at Lexington there in Kentucky. Lives up just right across the border in Cincinnati now, and he has a, a very fun book called There's a Hole in the Log at the Bottom of the Lake. It's it's kind of a song, kind of like the old lady who swallowed the fly, and just wonderful, fun illustrations, and it's a good time. You know, pull out the ukulele and play along with them, and everyone will, will have a hoot with that book. All right. Now, moving on to the older kids, we got a... Kate D. Camillo, who's just one of the most fabulous children's book authors that's uh, ever been in America. She wrote The Tale of Despero. She had a book a couple years ago set in Florida called Ramey Nightingale, and this is kind of a spinoff. And this one's called Louisiana's Way Home. And it's about this young girl who's just feeling alienated from her family. She's, I think, about 12 years old. And uh, Kate just writes She's funny and heartbreaking. She's, again, the total package. Just about every emotion you can want is in this book. It's gotten praise from all over, and she you know, she might be uh, lined up for another award this year as well. Um, if you like series, there's a couple great series. Uh, one from North Carolina. It's a writer named Sheila Turnage, and she has a series about um, these two kids, Moe and Dale, and they have a detective agency. It's the Desperado Detective Agency. And uh, the most recent one was called The Law of Finders Keepers. And the hook is Mo is the girl, and her real name is Moses. And that's because there was a hurricane 12 years earlier, and she washed into town on a billboard that had blown over. And she doesn't know who her parents are. And part of the, the appeal of the series is that she's trying to track down her parents and find out who her parents are. And in this, this is the fourth and final book. She finally finds out what happened to her parents in that hurricane 12 years ago. And then we have down in Mississippi, Linda Williams Jackson, and she writes historical novels, and these are set in the 50s during the Civil Rights era. And the first book is uh, Midnight Without a Moon, and then the second one is A Sky Full of Stars. And it really attacks, um, not attacks, but explores the racism of the time. The first book, the uh, Emmett Till murder, uh, plays a part of the book. And these are probably for your older kids, probably uh, 10, 11, 12 years old. 
And then another Mississippi set story is called Smack Dab in the Middle of Maybe. It's by Joe Watson Hackle. She lives over in South Carolina now. She's an attorney, but this is her first book. And it's about a young girl who is living with her aunt. And it's because uh, her father worked on an oil rig down in the Gulf and he's passed away. And her mother is having some psychiatric difficulties. And so she's living with her aunt and she is convinced that her mother is going to come back to town on a certain date and she has to be a certain place in order to find her. And it's another one that's heartbreaking and funny in turn. And it's a a fabulous book. I mean, I actually shed a couple of tears when I was reading that one. Oh, wow. Well, Stephen, you've proven one thing. If you are wanting to be a writer and you just don't have that certain oomph to get past the finish line and finish, you need to move to Mississippi because it sounds like that is the (laughs) one state in the South that has a common thread of, of writers all over the place. But, of course, we love all of our Southern writers, no matter where their zip code is. And we appreciate, Stephen, you being there in Memphis and host of Book Talk. And just to recap, Stephen, I don't want to let anybody forget or, or be confused on any of the books. I'm going to rattle off the books that you mentioned for the adults, at least. You had Tear Me Apart, J.T. Ellison. You had Visible Empire from Hannah Petard, An American mm-hmm. Marriage. And that is by Tri-R.A. Jones. That that right? Yep. And then you had agent in place, and I don't have the last name, Mark. Greeny, G-R-E-A-N-E-Y. All right. And you had from Bill, I can't Lofelm. Okay. You have, what is that? Your, the Devil's Muse. The Devil's Muse. See, I can't read my writing. I need to <laughs> maybe not be a writer because I can't even read my own chicken scratch. My friend Ace Adkins, you didn't mention he's a former Auburn Tiger football star. Ace Adkins and his... Was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah, was he? I didn't realize that. He was on that famous 1993 Auburn undefeated team that didn't go anywhere because they were on probation. Uh, Ace wrote his newest book is called The Sinners. That might be about me, actually. Um, (laughs) About all of us, really. Yeah. Michael Ferris Smith's got a book called The Fighter. That's the one you said that's got the country music connection. Well, it's it's for folks that like that gritty country style. They, they call this kind of grit lit is the, the southern uh, kind of neo-noir stuff is called grit lit. Ah, okay. Well, I like grit lit. Beth Ann Finley in Oxford, she wrote Heating and Cooling. And then you have, is it K.A. Layman with mm-hmm. Heavy, an American Heavy. memoir? And Rick Bragg, he's got a new book out called The Best Cook in the World. You talked about aspiring writers. There's one more book I'd like to tell you all about. Uh, he's was born in Memphis, raised in Mississippi, now uh, teaches in uh, Savannah, Georgia. His name's Harrison Scott Key. Not Francis, but Harrison Scott Key. And he has a book called Congratulations, Who Are You Again? And it is all about becoming a writer and when he actually became a writer, how much of his ideas about writing were wrong. He goes and he tells you all the numbers of how much he got advanced for his book and how much the 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 managers and agents took from him, everything. If if you want to see a behind the scenes of a writer suffering and then uh, then what he goes through when he gets published with a lot of jokes because he is one of the funniest guys you can ever read, I r- highly recommend. Congratulations, who are you again? By Harrison Scott Key. All right, and then. The book that Stephen Ushery puts as his favorite book of 2018, Which Way Tree? And that is an awesome book out by Elizabeth Crook. Fabulous, fabulous book. It is a page turner and a half. So I can't get that one for you for Christmas? No, the one I want for Christmas is uh, A History of the Ozarks, Volume 1 by Brooks Blevins. 
I grew up in the Arkansas Ozarks, and he's uh, started this three-volume series of the history of the Ozarks, and I'm really looking forward to that one. What what burg are you from, sir? Uh, I was born in Searcy, which is right at the bottom of the Boston Mountains in the middle of the state, but I grew up in Springdale, which is up in the northwest corner near Fayetteville, where the university is. Lovely part of the country, lovely part of the south there. Beautiful. Northwest Arkansas, and uh, there's a company up there that's done pretty well business-wise. There's a few of them because uh, Springdale is also the home of Tyson Chicken to go along with Walmart up in Bentonville. Ah, okay. Well, they also must have people from that part of the world that know a thing or two about books. Stephen, thank you for being our special guest here on the Y'all Show and our Buy the Book feature. And, of course, to go find Stephen, you can go into Apple Podcast and find the podcast of Book Talk, the show he hosts all about books. And I assume almost all of these authors, we just rattle off the books that you like. You probably have interviewed almost all of them, right? Probably a good two-thirds, three-quarters of them. Well, if you want to know more, check that out. Stephen Usry, our special guest. Stephen, thank you very much for coming on the Y'all Show. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. All right. We will have more of the show after this break. Stay tuned. This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Herpes and L works when you have a cold sore and works when you don't. If you haven't tried this for cold sores, you're missing out. Purpose and L penetrates deep to treat cold sores. It really works. I apply it as soon as I have one. Purpose and L also protects against certain triggers caused by the sun and cold with added SPF 30 protection. I use it in the winter and in the summer to help protect against flare-ups from sun damage. Purpose and L works when you have a cold sore, works when you don't. Use as directed. Gold Bond salutes all you fixers out there. Fixers of wobbly chairs, squeaky stairs, and drippy faucets. Folks who can fix just about anything, except dry, cracked hands. Whoa, that's bad. Man. Say hello to Gold Bond Cracked Skin Cream. More than a lotion, it precisely fills, soothes, and protects rough, cracked fingers and knuckles. 91% said cracked skin felt smoother in one day. Yep, feeling good. Gold Bond Cracked Skin Cream. Find it in First Aid at CVS. The second hour of this Thursday Y'all Show back with you. This is the show all about the South. This is Y'all, and this is John Rawl. And I just got two words to warn you about in case this is great for you. You can get excited. And if you hate these two words, well, you might want to take a break a little bit later and take a chill pill. And those two words are War Eagle. (laughs) That's right. We're going to be going to the plains of Auburn. And welcome in Taylor Jones to the show. Taylor is an Auburn insider, and he's going to tell us all about Auburn football 2018. He's going to tell us about the Auburn football and basketball teams and developments on both of those fronts. And we'll also get his take on the SEC and the bowl lineup for the conference in our SEC spotlight later this hour. Taylor Jones, he is from a great all-Auburn website called powerofdixieland.com, and Taylor a friend of mine will be j- jumping in here and telling us all about the Plainsman later this hour. But right now on the Y'all Show, we're going to have some fun talking about the big holiday coming up. Not the one on the 25th of December, but the one a week later, New Year's 2019. Yes, are you ready? Can, can I sing? I, I know y'all are getting tired of this, but I've just got to get you in the New Year spirit. You're all together now. Should old acquaintance be forgotten and never brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgotten and old lang syne? I think that's how that goes. 
Yes, it's New Year's, believe it or not, and I, I hate that. I, I, I actually consider New Year's to be the worst holiday of the year for me. I just don't like the passage of time. I don't like all the idiot things that go on at New Year's, whether it might be that first kiss or people getting absolutely hammered and people going uh, off on trips and stuff like that. I guess I'm just an old <laughs> curmudgeon. But I really, the main reason I don't like it, and probably the only reason I don't like New Year's, it just means we're getting older. Every time that calendar turns over to a new year, you're getting older. And I don't like that. I'm not a big fan of birthdays, but I like birthdays better than I like New Year's Day for whatever reason. But I should take a chill pill because at least New Year's means college football. (laughs) And that's always a good thing. And they'll be playing college football. You know, when New Year's falls on a Sunday... They don't have college football. They let the NFL guys play football on New Year's Day. But this year, of course, it's going to be, I think, on a Tuesday. So we should be in good shape for college football games in 2019. But in the spirit of New Year's, we've got some stories to pass along that have just come out from WalletHub.com. They've rated the best cities for New Year's Eve. And a couple of these on their list of 100 cities are in Dixie. And we thought we would tell you who they are, why they're there, and maybe you should Make plans to go to some of these cities as part of our Dixie destination right now on the Y'all Show. The number one city for New Year's Eve, according to WalletHub.com, eh, probably not surprising. It's New York. Of course, they have the big Apple drop, and they have the the television show. Anderson Cooper is there. I guess Kathy Griffin won't be there again with him. But that that is something I at least tune in and watch a little bit of that. It's just nostalgia. But New York City is number one. Los Angeles is number two. Do you know what the number third three city, according to Wild Hub, for New Year's Eve in all of the land? Atlanta, Georgia, where they have a peach drop from the sky. They have a lit up peach that comes down in the ATL. And that's a fun event if you ever get to Atlanta for that. But they come in at number three in the best cities for New Year's Eve. So congrats to Atlanta for that. Now, some other southern cities that have made the cut, Orlando's at 7, Washington, D.C. comes in at number 9, Miami, number 11, number 12. Now, this makes a lot of sense. New Orleans, the 12th best city in the country, according to WalletHub, to spend New Year's Eve in. Kind of surprising to me, coming in at number 14, Birmingham. Great place. Now, the editors of WalletHub chose these based on an entertainment and food value a cost value, and a safety and accessibility ranking. So they mixed those three in to come up with this list. So I already know that New York City, although number one overall for best city, it is the worst city in the country from a cost standpoint. (laughs) So if you're going to go to New York, you better have a lot of cash on you. So we told you about Birmingham coming in in this list. Great job there. San Antonio checks in at 16, and their neighbor in Texas, Dallas, is at 17. Louisville, Kentucky is number 18 on the list. Nashville, I know they make a big deal now in Nashville, right along the Cumberland River where they have a fireworks display. Nashville is at number 19 in the best cities for New Year's Eve. Virginia Beach, Virginia is at 20. Tampa is 21. Houston, Texas, 22 in this listing. Austin, Texas, the capital of the Lone Star State. Weird Austin is number 27 for best cities for New Year's Eve. Baltimore, Maryland is at number 33. And now the first of several towns in North Carolina that made the list. Raleigh, the capital of the Tar Heel State, is at number 34. El Paso City is number 35 in this ranking. 
Charlotte, that other North Carolina town, comes in at number 40. St. Louis also tied with Charlotte for number 40. Fort Worth, not far from Dallas and Arlington. Fort Worth, Cowtown is 46. Greensboro, North Carolina is 48 in this. Best cities to spend New Year's Eve in. How about the capital of Oklahoma? Oklahoma City checking in at number 50. And Durham, North Carolina, home of the Durham Bulls, number 57, also home of the Duke Blue Devils. They're in the list. Lexington, Kentucky, number 59. Jacksonville, Florida, number 62. Baton Rouge, Louisiana, comes in at number 64 in the best cities for New Year's Eve. Tulsa is 66. The Bluff City, Memphis, Tennessee, your number 67 in the best cities to spend New Year's Eve, according to Wallet Hub. Kansas City, number 70. How about Lubbock, Texas? Buddy Holly's hometown, number 71. Hialeah, Florida, comes in at number 72. Corpus Christi in Texas is 73. St. Petersburg, Florida is number 75. And then a trio of Texas cities are 77, 78, 79. Plano, 77, followed by Laredo and Arlington, Texas. Chesapeake, Virginia comes in at 84. Nearby Norfolk, Virginia is 85. Winston-Salem in North Carolina is number 89 on the best cities to spend New Year's Eve in. Irving, Texas, the old home of the Dallas Cowboys, is at number 93 on the list. And the last on the list, also in Texas, at number 100, the 100th best city to have New Year's Eve in, is Garland, Texas. And that is a look, according to Wallet Hub, of the best places for New Year's Eve celebrations as we roll into 2019. So make plans to go to Garland, Texas, y'all, if you're looking for a good time. Or any of the other 99 places above it, or mostly most of those in the South. We'd rather you spend your money and hard-earned money in Dixie for New Year's if, if you can help it. And have a good old blowout of 2018 heading into 2019. Now, Wallet Hub had another article that I wanted to share with you as we continue to spotlight New Year's 2019. And they've got an article on WalletHub.com. 50-plus New Year's facts, traditions, spending, and more. And this has some really good data about New Year's. And let me share it with you here just before we bring on SEC Talk with Taylor Jones talking about the Auburn Tigers. According to WalletHub, 83% of Americans spend less than $200 on New Year's Eve celebrations. Hey, that's me. I'm part of that 83, proud of it. Maybe you're part of it too, 83%. What do you spend more than $200 on? I guess expensive champagne, maybe some steaks. Uh, no telling. 24, 24% of Americans plan to celebrate New Year's Eve at home. Hey, that's me. That is me. I'm guilty. Guilty as charged. 45% of Americans plan to celebrate New Year's Eve with family. I I guess I, I'm going to be in that category. How about you? You're going to go with family or friends? This is a holiday. I think it's more for friends. Is you kind of you, you just spent Christmas and Thanksgiving with family. Go out and have New Year's with friends. That's what friends are for, right? To have fun and get drunk. Fifteen <laughs> percent of Americans plan to attend a public event or go to parties for New Year's Eve. And if you do have, uh, if you want to go out and you've got a young one at home and you need to get a babysitter, seventeen dollars and eighty-eight cents is the average hourly rate for a babysitter on New Year's Eve. And that's about 20% more than any other time of the year. I know musicians make their most amount of money on New Year's Eve. That's the highest paying gig a musician can have is to play on New Year's Eve. So pretty cool there. 3% of Americans don't plan to celebrate New Year's Eve. I might be in that category. 
I do at least cut on the TV and try to see the new year come in. 48% of, a, of parents plan to count down the last 10 seconds of 2018 by 9 p.m. What? How can you do that? Counting it down by 9 p.m.? I don't know about that. How about this? 12% of Americans fall asleep before midnight on New Year's Eve. I've only done that once in modern times. I actually have kind of a tradition that I do that's personal when a new year comes along. And I don't want to sound hokey. I actually pray as the year ends and the new year begins. That's something I do. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just what I do. I just, I don't like the passage of time that much. I have, I have real issues with it. I mean, I'm not going to need to get on medicine or anything like that, (laughs) but I just don't like it. And I, I guess I, I go to, to the Lord in prayer as I look at my phone. And when I see it's like 1159 and 30 seconds, I start a prayer that lasts a couple of minutes. And then that's how I usually bring in the new year, but, uh, getting drunk and yelling, that's something I haven't done in a while, but that's just my crazy tradition. Maybe you want to take a page out of my book and use it this year. And I reckon I don't feel too weird telling you this because according to WalletHub, 61% of Americans say a prayer on New Year's Eve. So I thought I was a loner and here I am in the majority of Americans according to WalletHub. And finally, 54% of Americans plan to kiss someone at midnight. Oh, what a nice way to end our New Year's talk here on the Y'all Show. Hey, we're going to talk about the Auburn Tigers and I'm not going to kiss anyone when we talk about Auburn. War Eagle to you. Taylor Jones is going to be our special guest. He's going to talk about Auburn football, Auburn basketball, and a little SEC bowl lineup. That's how after the break here. Go kiss somebody right now if you really need to. This is the Y'all Show with John Rawl. Talk with a southern accent. Should old acquaintance be forgotten As a small business owner, you make every dollar count. So what could you do with $10? Go to Vistaprint.com today and you'll get 500 high-quality custom business cards for only $9.99. That's less than $0.02 per card. And at Vistaprint, your satisfaction is absolutely guaranteed. So it's never been easier to turn 500 strangers into connections. Just visit Vistaprint.com and use promo code 1313 at checkout. That's Vistaprint.com, promo code 1313. When I have a cold sore, I want something that works. Purpose&L penetrates deep to treat your cold sore. And it's enriched with lysine, vitamins, and lemon balm for soothing relief. But even when I don't have a cold sore, I still want something that protects against a flare-up. Purpose&L protects against certain triggers caused by the sun and cold, including flare-ups from sun damage with its added SPF 30 protection. So it treats and protects. Works for me. And me too. Purpose&L. Works when you have a cold sore. Works when you don't. Use as directed. Welcome back to Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent here on this Thursday edition. And all the Y'all Show, in addition to talking about the news and happenings of the region and all the food that comes with it and all the great music that comes in the South, we have college football and we've got great college football bands like what we just heard there, Power of Dixieland from the Auburn Tigers marching band. And that was War Eagle, the fight song. I love that. 
Auburn Power of Dixieland, yes. And speaking of Power of Dixieland, we've got from the website powerofdixieland.com a writer there and a guy who was on our show prior to SEC football kicking off at the end of August, Taylor Jones joining us now from the Plains. Hello, Taylor. Welcome back to the Y'all Show. Hey, thanks for having me. And how's everything on the Plains? Uh, things are going well right now. Wish it was a little warmer, but uh, we finally got a new offensive coordinator, and Angel Purefoy is finally cleared to play after almost a year and a half. He'll be playing this Saturday against UAB. So there's a lot of things to talk about here in Auburn. Yes. All right. Well, let's start back when you were on prior to the season kicking off, and that happened. It seems like a million years ago, but I was in Atlanta the weekend that Auburn got it going in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium against the Washington Huskies. And you predicted that this would not be the greatest of years, not the worst of years for Auburn, but you didn't predict a repeat as SEC West champ this year, Taylor. So I want to congratulate you at least on that prediction. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for that. Wish it wasn't true, but it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, but okay, so what is the mood? We're going to talk about the changes that have been made now that Auburn's wrapped up the regular season, getting ready for a, a date in Nashville in a few weeks. What has been the mood throughout the season, Taylor, as Auburn, we all know, a lot of incoming coming toward the Plains this football season? Uh, the mood is just kind of, we we feel like the season has gone a lot worse than it really has. I can you know go back to a time, and uh, for those that are interested, going back to uh, after the Arkansas game, where Auburn won that game pretty handily, 34-3. to and the title of the article that he wrote was why 34 to three feels like a loss. <laughs> and I can remember before he even wrote that being in Jordan Hare stadium, watching the game and Auburn was up by a large margin. And I'm just thinking, gosh, that it feels like they're not doing anything at all because there were, you know, many play calling, uh, many play call, uh, play calls that uh, just didn't really make any sense. Oh, one, I think they had it fourth down and, probably two from inside the five-yard line, and Gus Malzahn calls timeout, and we're thinking, okay, something interesting is going to happen here, and they're going to score on this play. And then he ends up handing it off to the running back, and they get nothing. So we think, okay, you know, what in the world was that? Why would you waste the timeout just to call that play? And then there were, you know, plenty of times where the offensive line, uh, not not a very experienced line, just let a couple of those big defensive tackles come through, and Jared Stidham was running for his life. And there were just so many things that, uh, that went well but didn't go well either. And that's kind of, you know, what we've seen uh, all year long. It just seems like, you know, we're doing the same thing over and over and over again, and we don't really know if it's uh, Malzahn, if it was uh, outgoing offensive coordinator Chip Lindsey or, or whatever it was. And there were times where the defense really didn't, you know, have this, as much leadership as they've had in years past too. So it was just one of those – years where we felt like it could have gone a lot better than it actually did. But now we've got a new offensive coordinator coming in, the guy from Memphis, and uh, we'll see what he's uh, up to this upcoming spring. Yeah, it was amazing how Auburn's season was kind of summed up in some ways before the halfway point of the season. And what I mean by that is you go back to early in the season when things were rolling and then the LSU Tigers came in and somehow escaped with a dramatic win right there at Jordan-Hare. And it wasn't long too, too long after that that Texas A&M fell apart on the Plains and Auburn got a win there. So highs and lows on both fronts in the SEC West this year for Auburn. 
yeah that's right and you know I, you know just another one of those things it just really didn't seem like i don't know if it was a gelling issue because we've seen you know 2013 that was one of the you know big years where they played as a team and uh, the 2004 team especially was one where they played as a team and it just seemed like everything was going right in motion you've got a offensive line for the most part that really hadn't played together really didn't have much college experience either uh coming in so that played a key role in it and uh, another big issue too that actually led to one of the running backs transferring asa martin was just not really uh utilizing the speed that they had asa martin actually played and four games and two snaps over uh what he was supposed to in order to keep his red shirt status and that you know ended up being a big debacle and I, I just, you know, I wonder if the pieces were used in many different ways, you know, what this season could have been, because we saw in Atlanta, you saw too, where, uh, you know, Auburn looked pretty good against a really good team uh, that just missed out on playing for a Pac-12 championship in Washington. But I, I'd say that's probably, I mean, you're exactly right. It just seems like maybe if one or two things had gone right or maybe more pieces were utilized, you could be looking at a, you know, probably a 10-win season instead of a seven. Yeah. Now, throughout the way the season worked out for Gus Malzahn, did you sense the pressure really got to him as it was obvious that Auburn would not come close to what happened in 2017? Yeah, I feel like it was. That was the whole uh, talk of the buyout, too, was you know they had just signed him into a, a large extension with a large buyout because of what happened at the end of 2017 where they beat the Georgia Bulldogs and beat Alabama at home and things were going well and Jared Stidham had finally found his groove and then things just kind of fell apart so a lot I mean a lot of fans were uh you know kind of criticizing Malzahn you know who's really calling plays was one of the things we heard and another one of those uh we heard the mega millions drawing that happened uh, not that long ago a lot of people were like well the first thing i'm gonna do is donate 37 million dollars to auburn university and they can do whatever they want with it but i think it was very clear that athletic director alan green who's uh, in his first season for a first full season replacing jay jacobs that uh, he comes from a winning school he's a notre dame graduate and he uh, expects a lot of big things to happen for this football program, and he knows that the fans expect the same thing. And there were some negotiations to really kind of uh, lower that buyout a little bit, and some changes were made as well. And um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens in 2019. But for right now, I think uh, it, it's you know it, it's got the the capability of moving in the right direction because of the. Uh, what the higher ups have said and kind of what they've done to adjust to make sure that success is coming and they know that they're not going to tolerate this for much longer. We're talking with Taylor Jones, power of Dixieland.com's website, and he's a writer for that site and he's based in Auburn. And the Tigers this 2018 season finished seven and five, and that was good enough for fifth place in the SEC West. Not exactly what Auburn fans were looking for after capturing the West Division. Last year, kind of recapping the way the season started, as I said, they were in that Chick-fil-A kickoff game on Labor Day weekend, and they defeated Washington in dramatic form 21-16, got an FCS win against Alabama State in Week 2, then they lost that game at Jordan-Hare to LSU, came back, and you said they beat Arkansas 34-3, but it felt like a loss, then they beat Southern Miss 24-13, and then here's kind of a harbinger of the way things were for Auburn this year. They went to Davis Wade and Starkville and lost that game 23-9. to 
to Mississippi State. Did you think going into that game against State that Auburn should have won that game? I felt like they had a really good possibility because I know that uh, Nick Fitzgerald, a wonderful quarterback, uh, but he had been one year removed after suffering that gruesome injury in the Egg Bowl earlier. And then they've got a brand new coach that we really didn't know a whole lot about. I kind of, you know, looking at the beginning of the season, I thought LSU and Mississippi State would kind of be in the same boat where they wouldn't be bad, but we still don't really know what they're going to bring to the table because LSU had a lot to replace and. Uh, Joe Moorhead coming in from Mississippi State. We really didn't know a whole lot about him other than uh, we knew that he and he had uh, coached a guy by the name of Nick Sorley and Saquon Barkley uh, to a pretty successful career. So we really didn't know what to expect. But my goodness, that was the day that we really got introduced to Coach Joe Moorhead. And we know how good of a coach he can be and how good of an offense that uh, he can put together. I know that, you know, is uh, a, a little disheartening for you there, Mr. Hall, but. Uh, that was one that it, it, it surprised me a little bit. I mean, I felt Mississippi State had just as good of a chance to win as Auburn, but I had no idea that it was that that was going to happen at Davis Wade Stadium that night. Well, as bad as that night was, Taylor, perhaps the worst loss of the season for Auburn came the following week. So, did Mississippi State beat Auburn twice? Because the next week, when they suited up, they faced the Tennessee Vols, and Tennessee got an extremely rare win on the Plains, thirty to twenty-four. Yeah, that's the uh, the the real Lord of the Rings and the Auburn killer, Mr. Jeremy Pruitt, because I think I uh, went back and did the math in our season preview, and I think Jeremy Pruitt or Auburn has faced a team that has Jeremy Pruitt on the staff somewhere every year that he's been in college back in since 2007, I believe. And I think Auburn has only gotten two wins in that time, two between Alabama, Georgia, Florida State, and now Tennessee. And that was a, that was a scary game for me going in. I said, Jerry Pruitt's going to find a way to get through to Auburn, and he's going to uh, really embarrass them. And that's exactly what happened. I didn't want it to happen, but that's exactly what happened. But you can't count uh, Jeremy Pruitt coach team when they take on the Auburn Tigers. And he's got that Sand Mountain, Alabama connection. And I don't know if you've ever been up on Sand Mountain, Taylor, but uh, some scary characters come from up there. Yes, there is. Uh, covering high school football for as, uh, for about as long as I have uh, covering Auburn, you go up there to Fife <laughs> and Albertville and Rainsville, where he's from. Yeah, yeah there's uh, there's some interesting people up there, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I, I know. I used to be around there. after uh, I lived just down the mountain in Huntsville for a while, so I know about Rainsville. All right, a big win Auburn had on the road in the SEC play is they actually surprised a lot of people when they rebounded from two straight losses and went to Shark Country and defeated the Mississippi Land Sharks 31-16. Yeah, that was a really good game to uh, to get back. That was one that, you know, again, we're still not uh, not really sure about. We had heard a lot about uh, Jordan Tiamu and uh, what he was able to do. But that was another just really, really good win that a lot of, you know, Auburn fans were still skeptical about that. But it was just good to just get those two, out, those two losses prior out of the way and just get that taste out of your mouth. D- did you have the same gut feeling that I had going into that game that if Gus Malzahn didn't win the game in Oxford, that perhaps there would be a change of leadership after that game? Yeah, it'd probably be uh, one of those that wouldn't be made uh, announced public until the end of the Alabama game, but I feel like something drastic would have happened. Either he was going to be gone or an offensive coordinator was going to be gone or or something like that, because that's just one of those that 
I mean, the way they lost those two games prior, that's, you know, not a really good sign heading into two of your toughest games with your biggest rivals at the end of the season. That you probably weren't going to win based on how those other two teams have had seasons. But they did beat, they did beat the Sharks. They came back and, as we mentioned earlier, got a big win against Texas A&M, a very exciting win. And then they followed that up with, Losses to Georgia and Alabama with a win against the Liberty Flames sandwiched in between. And so Auburn finishes 7-5. and five, And what happens when you're 7-5? and five? Well, you try to calm the populace. And one way Gus Malzahn has done that was, as you mentioned, hiring a new offensive coordinator as Kenny Dillingham is coming to the Plains from Memphis where he's been coaching alongside Mike Norvell for the Tigers. And he'll have the same position as O.C., for Auburn, what do you know about Dillingham and what he's done there in the Bluff City? I uh, I like what he's done. I know he's a very young guy. I think he's probably 29. two, three years. Yeah, two or three years older than I am. But I uh, I feel like it's gonna it's going to go well because it's not uh, not a quote unquote Malzahn guy that's coming in to be offensive coordinator because Chip Lindsay he had worked with and they were you know previous high school coaches and. It seems like everybody that he hires is someone that he's worked with in the past, or is um, he's been a you know been a mentor to, or been a colleague with in the past, or whatever. And uh, I don't think he had any ties with Malzahn, which I think is uh, a step in the right direction as far as uh, trying to get the offense going where it needs to go. Because 2013 was a long time, but that was uh, the offense that I you know, would love to see Auburn have again, and I think they're going to have that uh, with the new offensive coordinator. I, another thing I learned about him, too, is I can't remember, I believe it was Coach Will Muschamp a couple years ago when he was at Auburn. He says, uh, well, you can tell by my wife that I'm an excellent recruiter. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think the same thing about him, too. Uh, you know, He may not uh, have it there in the face, but he's got – a beautiful wife. So he must be doing something right. So uh, we, we know that he's an excellent recruiter based on that. So uh, we'll see what he can do with this, this really good in-state talent. We know we've got some, uh, a, a couple of quarterbacks that are be coming in real soon, including Patrick Nix, the, or uh, the son of Patrick Nix, Bo Nix, who just won his second state title with the Pinson Valley Indians. We'll uh-huh. see what uh, those two can cook up uh, in the next couple of years in Auburn. All right. And Taylor sources can confirm that Kenny Dillingham's wife is an A plus. So <laughs> Will Muschamp started a trend there for sure. We're talking with Taylor Jones. Power of Dixieland.com is the website. We're going to talk some more personnel as Jared Stidham, quarterback for Auburn, he's done playing for the Plainsman. We'll discuss that in Auburn's date in Music City against the Purdue Boilermakers. Also, we're going to talk about this top 10 Auburn basketball team. Bruce Pearl's got a good team, and they're not getting a lot of attention right now. Maybe that's a good thing. We'll talk about all that when we come back from the break. This is the Y'all Show. Talk with a Southern accent. War Eagle. Hey, guys. Good news. The outrageously expensive little blue pill is now generic, which means you can get the prescription medication to treat ED at affordable prices. And Hems makes it extra affordable. Right now, get your first month supply for free. All you pay is just $5 for your medical consultation when you go to 4 today. 
After that, it's just 30 bucks for a month's supply. Sure beats paying big bucks for just one blue pill, doesn't it? Plus, you won't need an awkward in-person doctor's appointment to get the prescription. Hims has doctors online who can prescribe the medication, and a pharmacy sends it right to your door. It's affordable, private, and incredibly easy. Nobody likes dealing with ED. Now, thanks to Hims, nobody has to. And that's really good news. To get your first order for just five bucks, you need to go to this exclusive address, forhims.com slash today. That's forhims.com slash today for your first month for just five bucks. Forhims.com slash today. See website for full details. Not all services through the Hims platform are available in all 50 states. Gold Bond salutes all you fixers out there. Fixers of wobbly chairs, squeaky stairs, and drippy faucets. Folks who can fix just about anything, except dry, cracked hands. Whoa, that's bad. Man. Say hello to Gold Bond Cracked Skin Cream. More than a lotion. It precisely fills, soothes, and protects rough, cracked fingers and knuckles. 91% said cracked skin felt smoother in one day. Yep, feeling good. Gold Bond Cracked Skin Cream. Find it at First Aid at Walgreens. Back we are to the Y'all Show, wrapping up our Thursday edition. We still have our Auburn Tiger Spotlight with Taylor Jones from the website PowerOfDixieLand.com. If you want to know what's going on with the Auburn Tigers, log on to that great website with Taylor contributing there, PowerOfDixieLand.com. The Auburn Tigers, 7-5 and five this year on the gridiron, and not quite the season they had in 2018. But they still have one more game left to make the season as Good as it can be, and they'll be playing in Nissan Stadium on 28 December against the Purdue Boilermakers in the Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl. And it just came out that the quarterback for Auburn will not be playing in that as he has NFL aspirations. Jared, uh, Taylor, tell us about that decision and how will that affect Auburn in this game? Um, I'm not exactly sure how it will affect uh, Auburn. We know we have one guy that's uh, second on the depth chart that's gotten some playing time this year, and a lot of people say that uh, he's going to be the future of this program on offense, and that's a quarterback by the name of Malik Willis, a player that was originally committed to be a defensive back at Virginia Tech, but very quickly uh, towards the end of the signing period, uh, a couple of years ago, he elected to stay closer to home. He's uh, from Roswell originally and uh, decided to stay closer to home and play quarterback for the Auburn Tigers. And it'll be a good opportunity for him to uh, step out and shine. And, uh, and we've got, you know, a lot of really good quarterbacks uh, in there as well. Malik Willis with the gentleman we just talked about, Joey Gatewood, a big player out of Jacksonville, Florida, and Bo Nix, the player we talked about earlier that's still in high school that will – um, be making his way into the uh, depth chart over at Auburn. Uh, I think a lot of Auburn fans were kind of happy for a second and then kind of disappointed because, you know, we love Jared Stidham. Um, you know, I, a lot of people argue that Jared Stidham wasn't a Malzahn-style quarterback and that maybe have, you know, kept him from reaching uh, his uh, total potential uh, but a lot of people were kind of excited when they found out that Jared Stidham was going to be making the move to the NFL because Clemson quarterback Kelly Bryant was had, had taken his second visit to Auburn, and they thought, well, 
if Jared Stedham goes, then Kelly Bryant saw Auburn. Well, I'd say probably a good 30 minutes after Jared Stedham announced that he wasn't going to come back, Kelly Bryant announced he was going to be joining the Mizzou Tigers and Coach Barry Odom. And a lot of people kind of, you know, were surprised by that. And, okay, well, what are we going to do now? So uh, that'll be a really interesting thing to look forward to see how uh, Malik Willis and Joey Gatewood and Bo Nix uh, go into the spring and uh, how that quarterback battle will battle out, especially now that uh, Kelly Bryant, who a lot of Auburn fans expected to come, including myself, I thought that he was going to come to Auburn after he took that second visit. He elected to go elsewhere. That's going to be a really interesting thing to look for this upcoming spring. Yeah. Taylor, help me out here. That's why we got you straight from Auburn, Alabama, talking to us on today's Y'all Show. Stidham has officially announced that he's going to forgo his final season of eligibility and turn pro, but I'm reading conflicting things. Is he actually going to play in the bowl game or not? I've heard that ah. uh, that he will. Okay. I've heard that he will, but that's uh, it's still not. Nobody that, that really knows. Change in the next couple of weeks. Okay, yeah, that could change in the next couple of weeks. Well, I had heard he was not, but then I, I'm reading reports. It looked like he may actually play. Who knows what's going to end up happening? But he, we do know he will not be back suiting up for Auburn again. This is a guy who transferred in from what Texas A and M, and ended up wasn't he uh, helping out a high school two years ago or something crazy like that. Yeah, he uh, he was a part of the uh, Baylor football program Baylor. a couple of years ago, and then when everything happened with Coach Art Bryles and that that whole debacle, he elected to go to a junior college also in Waco, and uh, they didn't have a football team, so he was just uh, taking his classes and uh, getting those credits out of the way, and then uh, was actually a scout team for one of the local uh, high schools over there, and then uh, took a couple of uh, – visits to a few uh, SEC uh, schools, including Florida, Texas A&M, and Auburn. And uh, that was actually one of the rumors that was going around is that between Auburn and Texas A&M, whoever didn't get Jared Stidham was going to get Kellen Mond. Uh-huh. And that's you know actually what happened because Kellen Mond was uh, in talks of going to Auburn as well if Jared Stidham wasn't going to go. So that uh, worked out for both schools, I think. Yeah, I knew there was some kind of A&M connection. Of course, he's a native of that state. All right, let's talk about this bowl game. Have you seen much Purdue footage from this year? Because I saw them lose to Northwestern in the first game of the year, and you thought, oh, here here we go again. Purdue's going to have a terrible year. And then did you tune in when they beat Ohio State by like 30 points? Oh, my goodness. I was not expecting that at all. <laughs> that was probably the only uh, only time I really got a chance to watch the Purdue Boilermakers play live was on that ABC Saturday night game. And then – uh, of course, a lot of talk with uh, Jeff Brom uh, looking to take that Louisville spot, but he said, no, I'm going to stay right here, and that was the end of that. So um, I think that's still a program on the rise. I think they've got the right guy in charge in order to get them back to where they were when they competed in the Rose Bowl with uh, – what's that guy's name? Drew Brees, I think. Yeah, um, yeah and uh, I think that he's the right guy in charge. I don't know if – uh, very many people can have success at a school like Purdue that's uh, historically more uh, more involved in basketball in the, in the state of Indiana than they are football. So uh, when you've got a guy like that in charge, anything can happen. So it's going to be a, a really interesting thing to see uh, Auburn play Purdue. And I'm just glad that Auburn's in a bowl game playing a Big Ten team that isn't the Wisconsin Badgers. I'm very happy about that because it seems like we see them every year. Kind of like Florida and Michigan seem to play every year in a bowl game. Taylor, has Auburn played in the Music City Bowl? 
in the past? Uh, they play, yeah, I think they played there. I think they played Wisconsin one time and maybe Minnesota one time in the early part of the 2000s decade. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Again, this is going to be on December 28th, a Friday. This will be a Friday afternoon. So all of you who aren't working, you're in, you're in luck. And if you're an Auburn fan scheduled to work on the Friday of December 28th, hey, take that day off or sneak out early and check out this game. It'll be on ESPN from Nissan Stadium in Nashville, the Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl. And I, you'll be proud that I was not cheering for this team, Taylor. But yours truly, General John Rawl, attended the very first Music City Bowl in Nashville back in the 1990s. Do you know who played in that bowl game? Oh, I don't think I do. The Virginia Tech Hokies and your friends from Tuscaloosa, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Ah, wow. And I think Virginia Tech won the game, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't pull for either one. I was just there by default, I guess. But, uh, yes, a very cold night, as you probably may have on 28 December against Purdue in Nashville. Might have some snow on the river. (laughs) Yes, but that's Auburn football. Any other thing we need to know about Auburn football before we turn the page to basketball for Auburn? Any any uh, any departures? Anybody saying they're going to go to the NFL besides Stidham? Uh, not so much. Uh, the NFL. I have heard that uh, Asa Martin, our running back, uh, is going to be transferring, looking to go elsewhere. Uh, other than that, I think everybody's uh, still on board. All right, and Gus Malzahn still on board. The fans are just yes, uh, biting their lip and hoping for a much better 2019. It sounds like. That's right. All right, we're going to talk basketball in a sec, but right now, Taylor, we're going to include you in on our SEC fun. I'm going to rattle off each SEC team's bowl appearance, just as a reminder here as we're wrapping up the Y'all Show this week. And I want you to get, I want to get Taylor Jones's take on who's going to win and why in one sentence. So you only have one sentence to give us the reason, okay? Are you ready for this All right. challenge? Yeah, let's do it. I need to start the game show music here. First bowl game featuring an SEC team, the Texas Bowl, the Baylor Bears, and the Vanderbilt Commodores. Winner is? I'm going to go Vanderbilt because you can't count out Derek Mason. All right. And I'm going to come back to the next game on the schedule, which is Auburn. We'll have them as our last pick with you, Taylor. Up on December 29th, you've got the Florida Gators and Michigan in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Winner is? I'm going to go with the Florida Gators. I really like what Dan Mullen's done in his first year, and this is only the beginning. All right. Then the Belk Bowl in Charlotte, the Gamecocks of South Carolina, and Virginia in that game. Winner is? I will go with the South Carolina Gamecocks because, well, I really don't have a reason. I just feel like they're a much better team than Virginia. Well, a much better team is a good reason there. Okay, we'll take it. Your friends from T-Town, they're playing in the Capital One Orange Bowl. On December 29th, it's Oklahoma and Alabama in the CFP semifinal. Winner will be? I'm going to go with Alabama. It's going to be a lot closer than the experts think, but they've got two really good quarterbacks instead of one over at Oklahoma, and I think either one of those quarterbacks are going to take over the Sooners. All right. New Year's Eve, Missouri plays in the Liberty Bowl against Oklahoma State. Your winner will be? I'm going to go Missouri in a 50-48 to 48 shootout. Ah, so a close game there in Memphis. But a lot of points will be scored. All right, Gator Bowl, NC State versus Texas A&M, and the winner will be? I'll go with NC State. They really impressed me early, and I know they didn't have the end of the season that they wanted to have, but uh, they were really impressive from the beginning, and I think they're going to impress a lot of people in this game. All right, Wolfpack. 
taking care of the SEC in that one, according to Taylor Jones. Not me, Taylor Jones. Send your hate mail to Taylor, okay? <laughs> Let's Go move ahead. to the year 2019 for these last four picks. The Mississippi State Bulldogs will be in Tampa to take on Iowa in the Outback Bowl. Taylor Jones's winner of that game will be? I'm going to go with the Iowa Hawkeyes. Kurt uh, Ferentz seems to do crazy things down in the state of Florida, so I'm going to go with the Hawkeyes. Yeah, they have some luck there in that bowl game. And go ask LSU if you don't believe me. The PlayStation oh, yeah. Fiesta Bowl, LSU and the Central undefeated Central Florida Knights. I'm going to go LSU because the national champs need to get knocked off. <laughs> <laughs> See there, national champs, UCF. He, he's giving you credit, folks. Taylor is. All right, how about Kentucky? They're in the Citrus Bowl, and they're taking on the Penn State Nittany Lions. Your winner of that game will be? I'm going to go with Kentucky. I think a lot of people aren't uh, aren't really buying into the Wildcats, but I am a big fan of the air raid offense, and I like Mark Stoops, so give me the Wildcats. All right. The All-State Sugar Bowl and the Big Easy, the Texas Longhorns and the Georgia Bulldogs. Winner will be? I'm going to say go dogs on that one. I feel like they're a little frustrated with getting left out of the playoffs. They're going to play with a bit of a chip on their shoulder. Go, give me the dogs. All right. And then that game on December 28th featuring Purdue and the Auburn Tigers in the Music City Bowl in Nashville. The winner will be? I will go Auburn on that one. Uh, I guess call it SEC bias, but I think Auburn's got uh, a lot uh, more experience over defenses like Purdue, and they've had pretty much uh, good success over those defenses, too. So give me Auburn. All right. And who is going to win the national championship, in your opinion? Uh, I say the Clemson Tigers outside Alabama. Really? Yeah. All right, you heard it right here, everybody. Taylor Jones going with the C. Albert on the Lake is your choice for national champion this year. All right, let's talk a little round ball, if you don't mind. The Auburn Tigers under Coach Bruce Pearl sit at 8-1 and one as we record this show, and they are leading the SEC, which says a lot because there's another team in the top 10 in the SEC that's making a lot of people pay attention to the SEC basketball right now. Auburn already has some key wins on the schedule. Did, the one loss did come to Duke, but only 78-72 in that loss earlier in the season. Taylor, what's going on on the Plains basketball-wise? Everybody is excited about this basketball team. A uh, big thing that you'll see on Twitter and uh, even on the sports talk shows down at Auburn is everybody saying, here at Auburn, we're a basketball school. And that's <laughs> something that hasn't been able to be said, I don't think, in the history of uh, Auburn University and Auburn Tiger Athletics because the football team has always been so much ahead of the Auburn basketball team. And I kind of look at the what we see in Auburn basketball now as I, I kind of you know look at in similarity as the 1995 Atlanta Braves because I was very young uh, when the Atlanta Braves won their first World Series title. So I really don't remember anything about that season. I wish I was there. I've seen the videos. I've heard people talk. It's wonderful. I wish I had been there, and I really hope to see it again real soon. Um, I probably became an Auburn fan, I'd say probably 2001 when I went to my first uh, Auburn football game. But before that, I you know just really didn't pay attention much to college sports. I was interested in other things. I don't really know. I was nine at the time. Um, but people were telling me about Auburn basketball and showing me videos from the 1999 season with Chris Porter and Mamadou Njai and 
what they were doing to the SEC teams. I'm like, there is no way in the world that Auburn basketball was this good at one point uh, in their career when they were up to number three. And now Bruce Pearl's come on the planes. People have been patient with him. Recruits have been coming in left and right. They're playing better as the years go on. And it's just so exciting to watch Jared Harper and uh, Bryce Brown go out there and play with each other. And uh, even though they've had a few people transfer or leave the program for whatever reason, um, they are still playing together and they still give you a lot of hope every time they take the floor. And that's something that everybody is just so excited for when they watch these Tigers play. And Auburn right now ranked number eight in the country. So congrats to all the Tiger basketball players for that. Games coming up of note, as you mentioned, they play this weekend against UAB. That should be a fun contest on the Plains. And then they've got an ACC opponent coming up on December 19th when they take on NC State. And they start SEC play on January 9th against the Mississippi Land Sharks. A big game on the schedule, the biggest game maybe of the entire year in the SEC for Auburn. It won't happen until the very last game of the season when on March 9th, the Tennessee Vols come to Auburn for a game, and I mentioned that game is perhaps the biggest one because both of these teams are currently in the top ten. Tennessee knocked off Gonzaga over the weekend, and Tennessee, I think, sitting at number three in the poll right now. So, And it's odd because, of course, Bruce Pearl came to Auburn after a long time coaching the Tennessee Vols. So SEC basketball, it appears, with Tennessee and Auburn, everything seems to be moving in the right direction, Taylor. Yeah, it seems like it's uh, setting up for a pretty good show there at the uh, beginning of March. I really hate that they don't get to play any time before then or that they don't get to play twice this year. But it was kind of the same situation at the end of the year last year when South Carolina came to the Plains and Auburn beat them to win the SEC regular season title. But I'm just I'm so excited that Auburn's got a team that's able to compete in the SEC that's actually been up the last couple of years yeah and reminder remind me actually i'm asking here auburn won the regular season outright last year tennessee won the tournament is that how that worked yes okay i believe that's right because auburn had the tiebreaker over the balls and then auburn went to the big dance clemson knocked them off early in the ncaa tournament is that that right Yes, second round in a game that uh, I, I don't know what happened in San Diego, but uh, that, the Auburn Tiger team that we saw earlier in the year did not show in Southern California that night. All right, well, look, we've turned the page. We've got a whole new year. Auburn basketball seems to be doing quite well and a fun team to keep up with as we roll along as Auburn Tigers top 10 in college basketball. Taylor Jones, thank you for stopping by on the Y'all Show. He's with the website powerofdixieland.com. We wish you and everybody in the Auburn Nation a very Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, good luck in the bowl game against Purdue, and we will track you down in 2019, sir. Hey, thank you very much for having me on. All right. Taylor Jones, everybody. Well, that will conclude today's Y'all Show. Thank you for listening to this all-Southern show where we talk about folks like the Auburn Tigers, War Eagle to you, War Damn Eagle in some cases. We'll come back here on the Friday edition, wrap things up, and send you off into the weekend and to the holidays with lots of Christmas cheer. So tune in for our fun on Friday's Y'all Show. Until that time, John Rawl signing off. You've been listening to the Y'all Show Talk with a Southern accent.
Credit products are made by WebBank. Rates and terms vary based on credit history. Amazon is not a sponsor of this promotion. Other restrictions apply. See website for details. How did I get into credit card debt? A trip to the emergency room. Car repairs. <sighs> Moving expenses. <sighs> There's a million ways to get into credit card debt, but one sure way to start getting out. Avant. Avant offers access to online unsecured loans from $2,000 to $35,000 at competitive rates and no extra charges for paying back early. Over 500,000 customers have experienced the convenience of a loan through Avant. No wonder Avant has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. The application takes minutes, and if approved by 4.30 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday, funds are deposited as soon as the next business day. And now Avant will also give you a $50 Amazon.com gift card after your first payment is made on time. To check your loan options and to get this special radio offer, go to Avant.com today and enter promo code 4646 when applying. That's A-V-A-N-T.com, promo code 4646. Avant.com, code 4646.